My name's Nate. I'm the lead pastor here at Hope Church, if you haven't met me yet. And sadly, today you caught us in the sixth and final week of a great series of talks called Frenemies. Everybody say Frenemies. Come on, how many have been enjoying this Frenemies series thus far? And I'm so excited. Friends, enemies, together is frenemies. Very good. I'm so excited because next week is Palm Sunday, and we are starting a brand new series called Rise. We're going to learn to elevate our lives to the next level because of what Jesus has done for us. And Easter is just two weeks away. Anybody excited about Easter? Come on. We're going to be celebrating Jesus' resurrection, and you're not going to want to miss it. It's incredible. I know the production team, the worship team, the creative team has been working so hard to help you connect your friends to Jesus. And at the end of today's experience, we're going to hear a story from a, a, a beautiful woman named Jackie who actually met Jesus on Easter like 20 plus years ago, and we are so excited for her. She's still following Jesus. Don't you love the power of one invitation? One moment with Jesus can change your whole life. Come on, if you've discovered hope in Jesus, he's the best thing that's ever happened to you. Give him one more shot of praise this morning. Come on, it just takes one encounter, one touch, one word from Jesus, and your whole life gets changed in the very best way possible. So today, we are in Frenemies, week six, and we're going back to Matthew chapter 10 again. All right, so if you got your Bibles, or online, or you want to check out the screens on the side. It says Matthew chapter 10 again. It says, behold. Everybody say, wake up. Wake up. Behold. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Wake. Behold, I'm sending you. I send you. Everybody say, send me. Yes. Wake up. I'm sending you as sheep in the midst of wolves. This is Jesus talking. He says, I'm sending you out to people that want to prey on you. If you are a sheep, a wolf is your predator coming to prey on you. Are you catching this? Wolves prey on sheep. Okay, and I'm sending you into a world that's half-hearted to be excellent, to be wholehearted. I'm sending you into a world that cheats their way to the top, and I'm going to ask you to walk in integrity to your way to the top. I'm sending you into a world that lies all the time to get ahead, and I'm going to have you be a truth teller. I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Are you catching it? All right, therefore, be wise. This whole series has been about working wisdom, not worry. We're not worried about enemies. We're not like, oh, man, everybody's out to get me. We're not scared of people. People are never the problem. But he says, be wise. Everybody say, wise. Pay attention. There are predators. There are enemies. There are frenemies. So be wise as serpents and as sweet or gentle as a dove, harmless as a dove. So in other words, he's saying, love is not giving yourself away to everybody that comes across your path. Loving them is not giving yourself to every single person that comes into your life. There is wisdom in love. So work wisdom in love. Ever say work wisdom with people. And people try to use love against you. When you don't enable them or empower them to be broken, they'll say, Oh, I thought you loved me. Don't you just love me the way I am? Well, I do love you. That's why I'm saying, No, you're better than this. Don't do that. That's not whole for you. It's not healthy for you. I love you enough to tell you the truth. I do love you. Well, I thought we were friends. Can't you just lower your standards for me? No, I love you. You are my friend. That's why I expect more from you. I believe in you. You're enough. You're more than enough. I, I'm not going to lower my standards. Verse 17 says, beware of people, men, women, people, for they'll scourge you in the synagogues. He's talking to his disciples. Verse 22, you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures, everybody say endures. 
He who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one city, flee to another. You will not have gone through all the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, Jesus said, nor a servant above his master. If they called the master of the house Beelzebub, which is another name for Satan or the devil, how much more will they call those of his household, the other sheeple, the other people that follow me? If they call me, the leader, the devil, how much more will they call you, the sheeple, the devil, right? Verse 26, here it is. Therefore, do not fear them. Don't worry about your enemies. Don't be anxious over enemies. Do not fear them. There is nothing covered that will not be revealed. Thank you, Jesus. There's nothing being thrown on you, no shade being thrown on you that will not be unveiled, right? And nothing hidden that will not be made known. He's talking about your enemies and your frenemies talking about you. He said, don't worry about them. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't be afraid of them. Nothing hidden will not be revealed. So the subject matter here is be wise. Everybody say wise. Why? Because the wolves are betrayers. And last week we saw for an enemy to really hurt you, they must get close to you relationally. Nobody can hurt you from a distance. Nobody can hurt you as an acquaintance. They have to get close to you. And we talked about inner circles and getting close. This is what the Apostle Paul calls wolves in sheep clothing. Wolves that come to betray. That's when they have selfish agendas, but they pass them off themselves off in a very sweet way. So I'm selfish, but I'm sweet. I'm selfish, but I'm sweet. Manipulating, conniving, deceiving, have my own agenda, but I come saying I'm here to help. Wolves in sheep's clothing. James 3.16 says, uh, wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, you will have every kind of evil. Are you hearing that? If somebody has an ambition that is self-seeking, that's what selfish means. Not ambition. Ambition is good. But selfish ambition is bad. It's ambition for me. I don't care about people. I don't care about you. I don't care about God. I don't care about anybody. I have a desire, and I've got to find a way to get it done no matter what or who I got to go through. It's selfish ambition. The Bible says wherever that and jealousy are combined, you'll have every kind of evil manifest itself. Why? Because when jealousy and self-ambition take over, it causes you to break all the rules and go off the rails just to get what you want like somebody else has. And this is where we pick it up in the Bible, in the story of Daniel, where some conniving co-worker frenemies are going straight up crazy, cray-cray on Daniel. Conniving co-worker, anybody ever have a co-worker frenemy just going crazy on your reputation, going crazy about what you did, what you said, who you are, where you were, conniving co-workers? They were so frustrated by their peer success, they came up with a plan to kill him in a den of starving lions. Insecure much, right? I mean, they're going off the rails, breaking all the rules. Why? Because there is jealousy and self-ambition. Daniel 6, 7 says it like this. They made a decree that anyone who prays to any other god or human during the next 30 days except the king, King Darius, shall all be thrown into the lion's den. And they made this huge decree not because they cared about the king, not because they cared about the people or the kingdom, just because they wanted to trap one guy who prayed every day, three times a day in public, on a stage, with his windows open and out loud. It was all of this kingdom stuff for one man out of jealousy and self-ambition. I mean, these are crazy and conniving co-workers. 
Today, I want to bring this really close to home and say, your place of employment, no matter how unexpected or undesirable, it may be your place of deployment. I believe God places certain people in certain spaces during certain seasons for certain reasons. That is not to say that your job is your sole purpose in life because the thing that feeds you is oftentimes not the thing that fulfills you. But this is to say there is purpose in your job. Even if you just have to get fed through it and it doesn't fulfill you, there is purpose in your job. And if your job is not your mission, you might be in a job called mission field. Ever say mission field. If it's not your mission, if it's not your purpose, it might be your mission field. Anybody ready to reach somebody this Easter season at your workplace? We're working wisdom. Furthermore, if God is not using you to change the people at your job, God might be using the people at your job to change you. The Bible says all those who love God and are called according to his commandments or called according to his standards, they are he works all things together for his good. So good friends, bad friends, helpful coworkers, enemy coworkers, frenemies, they're all working together for your good. So if God's not using you to change people at your work, just let him use the people at your work to change you. Are you catching it? So either way, get ready to gain wisdom today for your workplace. We like to preach to your Mondays and your Tuesdays and your Wednesdays and your Thursdays. We believe God's word is relevant and applicable to everyday life. And we want you to use wisdom in your workplace. And if you're retired, use wisdom in your retirement place, right? And if you're not working yet, use wisdom wherever you go, whatever you do in relationship. Today we're calling this one wisdom for the workplace, okay? Historically and contextually, this is what happened in Daniel. In chapter 2, Daniel worked for a, he was working for a Babylonian king named King Nebuchadnezzar. In Daniel chapter 6, Babylon gets conquered by another kingdom called Persia, a much bigger kingdom led by King Darius. And King Darius is now in charge, and the countries that were ruled under Babylon are now being ruled by Persia. So let's take a look at what happened historically and uh, use it metaphorically today, okay? Today, this could be compared to like a corporate takeover in your business, where you have a stronger company, more powerful company that buys out a smaller, weaker company. And now they have to decide, which employees do we keep on the team? And which of the employees of King Nebuchadnezzar are we going to let go? Which ones do we keep and which ones do we release? And they decided to keep Daniel. Daniel was a leader under King Nebi, and now he's going to be a leader under King Darius. Not only do they keep him, but they give him a position where he is one of three VPs in the company. They're responsible for providing oversight for 40 other regional managers across the kingdom. So he's a VP in charge of other managers that manage different sectors of the new Persian kingdom. And in Daniel 6.3, it says, And Daniel, as he was doing his job, as he was working with his whole heart, is unto the Lord. And Daniel distinguished himself from everyone else by his exceptional qualities. I like Daniel because he went to work when it was time to work. And he distinguished himself. Didn't say the Lord distinguished him. Didn't say the Lord woke up early and stayed late. Doesn't say anything about the Lord doing anything. For, it says Daniel distinguished himself. Are there any people of hope that would be well spoken of in your workplace saying, my God, I am distinguishing myself. Really going for greater really running with all of my heart as unto the Lord. Daniel distinguished himself in a non-Christian environment, in a Persian 
governments. Are you catching this? And everyone else, he was above everybody else because of exceptional qualities. Once translation says, Daniel distinguished himself with a spirit of excellence. I love excellence. Excellence is one of our core values here at Hope Church. It simply means everything he found with his hand to do, he did it with all of his heart as unto the Lord. Notice what it didn't say. It didn't say it was his excellent ability or his excellent anointing. It says he distinguished himself by his exceptional qualities. So it really wasn't the ability that distinguished him. It was his intangibles that distinguished him. I'm reading this book by John Maxwell called Beyond Talent. Beyond Talent. And what Maxwell is arguing is the most impactful people in human history are people who have more than just talent. They have more than just potential. They had talent plus. Potential plus. They had talent plus perseverance. Because you won't make the impact that you could make if you aren't willing to press your way through and keep on working when everybody feels like quitting and you feel like quitting. You will not have what you could have if you don't have talent plus perseverance. It says he has talent plus teachability. Because you don't go to the next level, you grow to the next level, and you can only grow to the level you're willing to learn on. A teachable spirit. Come on, you want to have a teachable spirit. So whenever you stop learning, you stop moving forward. He says we need to have, Ms. Maxwell, talent plus initiative. Talent plus initiative. Because you don't have to be great to start, but to be great, you have to start. And so many people live in indecision and never get started. You end up in life, it's not just about where you start, it's about whether or not you start. So you need talent plus initiative. So Daniel has some exceptional qualities that distinguish himself from everybody else. He's a talent plus person. A spirit of excellence, wholeheartedness that separates him from the best of the rest. The rest of the best. Okay? And this new king now says, man, you know what? I had three of you overseeing 120 people at work. You were seeing 40 managers apiece. Now, Daniel, you're so good at the 40, this is my plan for you. I'm going to put you over all 120 regional managers plus your two VP coworkers. Okay? The two that used to work with you are now going to have to work under you. You're getting a promotion. And his coworkers were like, yes, our boy made it. Let's go, Daniel. No, they weren't, right? The king comes to him and says, you, you did so well handling the pressure. You excelled so well handling the pressure of 40 leaders. To, now I'm promoting you to lead 122, which includes the other two VPs that were next to you. They're now on your team under your leadership. And King Darius just tripled the pressure on Daniel at work. Daniel doesn't complain. He was born for this. When's the last time your boss said, I believe in you enough to triple your workload at work? And if they did, what would you say? I knew you to be a hard taskmaster. No, no, no. I say like, man, you think that much of me? You believe in me that much? Because promotion always equals more pressure. We've learned this before. Promotion is always accompanied by more pressure. He says, you've been so faithful with a few, Daniel, you're excelling. Here's three times more responsibility. In Luke 16, Jesus taught his disciples this principle. He said, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever can't, can't be honest or is dishonest with little, who doesn't work what little they have, will also be dishonest and lazy with much. See, Daniel was faithful with 40, and then he was trusted 
with 122. But don't miss this. He had co-workers who were equal in authority, staying up late, working hard hours, all doing the same job managing 40 regional managers, trying to get out the king's decrees, figuring out innovative ways to like shift over the kingdom, make sure Persia doesn't go down. He's working for King Darius, a new leader, and trying to keep peace and civil, civil un unrest from riling up. He, they're all working late trying to do the same job. And now he has co-workers who are equal in authority. All of a sudden, his friends have to look to him, not just as their equal, but as their superior. He just made two frenemies. They were friends. They all were in this together. And now they're enemies. And now they're trying to manage the tension of being led by somebody they used to walk with. Has anybody ever had to walk with somebody you used to, or, or, or be led by somebody you used to walk with? Anybody at work? Somebody gets promoted. They were next to you. Now they're not. And they're probably putting the onus of friendship on Daniel saying, if you were my friend, you would not hold me to the same kind of standards you hold the 120 other leaders to. Even though if you lose your job, I can't pay your mortgage. If we were friends, you would lower your standards for me. Because people will try to put the onus of the friendship on you to cause you to carry the burden of their unwillingness to mature. I don't want to mature, so don't you dare try to do what we used to do to those other 40 managers to us because just like they say if you were my friend you wouldn't put this standard on me you could say if you were my friend you wouldn't ask me to jeopardize my career are you hearing what I'm saying why is it that people always expect you to lower your standards in order to maintain the relationship with them when they should raise their standards because if you want me to go low to be your friend we're not really friends if you want me to lower my expectations, my standards, just to be your friend, we're not really that great of friends. What? You want me to live at the low level that God has not called or commissioned me to live on? I can't come back down there, Daniel said. I've lived in less than my potential before. Can anybody say, I've lived in less than my potential before. Now I'm ready to maximize. I'm ready to produce at the level of my potential. I'm sick of being the leader that everybody says has potential. No, I want to produce at the level of my potential. I'm ready to excel and execute for once and finally throw away all my ridiculous excuses. I want to produce at the level of my potential. How about you? I've lived in less than my best before. Everybody has. It's easy to lose in life. I don't want to go back there. Why would I ever go back? Tell your neighbor, I'm never going back. I want to live nothing less than my best, nothing less than my best, nothing less than my wholeheartedness to the Lord. Something I love about the Word of God is not only does it speak to your now, it also has the potential to speak to your next. So if you're not relating to this in this moment, in this season, guess what? It may be because God is getting ready to sit you at new tables and put you in new rooms to see you promoted, and you're just getting ready for what God has in store for you. I love this because my confidence is in God. He sees when nobody else sees. Psalm 75 says that for promotion doesn't come from the east, the west, or the south, but it comes from the God being the judge. He puts down one and he exalts another. Promotion comes from the Lord. And a, and a boss might give me a new position, but really the Lord is the one who gave me a way, who made a way, who really made something happen for my promotion. And I love it because it's so obvious that God is with Daniel in every promotion season. 
God is looking when nobody else is looking. He's interested when nobody else is interested. When the stakes seem really low, he likes it when you take them to the next level. And God's not looking for what you do wrong. He's looking for what you do right. He's rooting for you to choose excellence when no one is watching. To, to show exceptional qualities when nobody knows who you are. Did you know God wants you to win in life? And he's looking for reasons not to punish you, but reasons to promote you, to bless you, to excel your life into your potential, your purpose, and everything he's called you for. He doesn't put things on you that are ill-fitting or don't work for you. He knows what you're capable of, and that's why he pulls the best out of you. He's waiting for you to give him an excuse to trust him with more because you're so faithful with what he's already given you. He wants to bless you more than you want to be blessed. And he's watching when no one's watching. Again, not to just hover and be awful and to put pain on you. No, to help you produce. Not because he doesn't believe in you, because he believes in you and he's for you. And he wants you to reign in life. And you might be in preparation today for a three times blessing where people who are your friends now in a few months might be your enemies because you might be sitting at a new table in a new room and he might exalt you and put down another. So if this word is not speaking to your now by faith today, let it speak to your next because God is with you. His hand of favor is on you. Daniel, don't you, don't you just see it so clearly? God's man of power, too sweet to be sour with God's hand of favor on him. Promotion doesn't come from your coworkers messing up and you doing well. Promotion doesn't come from you conniving and scheming and manipulating your way to the top. Promotion doesn't come from some broken leader. It comes from the Lord. I work with all my heart is unto the Lord. And he sees me and he promotes me and he causes my life to excel. Yeah, these coworkers didn't like the promotion that Daniel received. From Darius, but really the Lord. Are you catching this? And watch what verse 4 says. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But he was above reproach. They could find no charge of fault because he was faithful. If you're faithful with little, I'll make you ruler over much. They're looking to attack his character, find something wrong with him, but they could find no charge of fault because he was faithful. Faithful leads to favored. Faithful leads to God's favor. I want to be found faithful in the house of the Lord. I want to be found faithful at work. I want to be found faithful with my wife. I want to be found faithful with my kids. I want to be found faithful with what he's stewarded me to handle and to move forward. Faithfulness leads to God's favor. So here they are. They get exposed to the elevation of their friend, their coworker, their late night partner. And instead of being inspired by that exposure, they investigate and initiate a fault finding mission to eliminate their friend. Instead of letting what happened to him inspire them to cause them to go for greater, they try to figure out a way to kill him and to eliminate him from the equation. Instead of being joyful over, they're getting jealous of what they see happening in their friend's life. And they start plotting and manipulating, trying to find a way to stop his success. Once friends, now enemies, frenemies. Are you catching it? They're trying to find something to use against him to justify. What are they trying to justify? The rebellion to his leadership. And don't miss this. Here's some wisdom 
for you who are working with the wolves in the workplace that Jesus was trying to give, it is possible that the people that are with you right now, they don't, you don't know them. You don't know the people you are with the way you think you do. It is possible but what they've shown you is just because you haven't elevated yet. Because these, seem, these people seem to have no problem with Daniel. They're good with Daniel until he gets elevated. And like James said, wherever there is jealousy and self-ambition, you will have every kind of evil. Yeah, now they're doing things you never thought they were capable of doing as your friends. Because time does not reveal who people are in your life. Seasons reveal who people are. And a season of promotion has come to Daniel, and all the time they've been working together doesn't matter. It's the season that shifts who they really are. And just because you know someone well or for a long time doesn't mean you know them right in the meantime. Because sometimes you don't know what's in people until they get stressed, until they get hungry, until they get hangry, until they get under pressure. Like, who are you until they get tired or worn out or grow weary? Sometimes you don't know what's in people that you date until you break up with them. It's like, oh, my gosh, I dated you for seven months? How? They become petty and creepy and conniving, and they were wonderful to you. I mean, they were your best friend, your dream come true, and now, since you broke up, they're your worst nightmare. Like, what? kind of person were you the whole time because you don't always know what's in people until the relationship gets hard I believe this front of me series is so relevant because I think it's important as believers that we live in the world as it is and not as it will be see we are not living in the new heaven and the new earth and oftentimes believers are waiting for everyone to behave in a way that the Bible says that they will not behave until God restores all things unto his original intent and that's not now. And yes, we can be in the world and not of the world, but we still need to live in the world and relate to people, wolves, in the world. So if you're going into new rooms and sitting at new tables, you have to be prepared for this reality. This is the reality of the world that we live in. When God arranges elevation, the enemy will push back with aggravation. And we know people are never the problem. Everybody say it together. People are not the problem. But there are powers and principalities and rulers of darkness behind the people that will cause aggravation when you see elevation. When God starts blessing you, the enemy starts messing with you. And your success becomes a trigger to someone else around you's insecurities. And you can argue about whether it's right or wrong, appropriate or inappropriate, but it's inevitable anyways. It's going to happen. This is why Jesus was so counterculture when he said, rejoice with those who rejoice. <laughs> rejoice when your friends do better than you. Rejoice when your friends can afford the car that you want. Rejoice when people get the pool in the summer that you wish you had. Rejoice when people who can have babies have babies even though you can't yet. Rejoice. Everybody say rejoice. It's so counterculture. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Celebrate other people's wins. That's not natural. It's not normal. A carnal person does not rejoice when you do better than they're doing and you're in the same position. Jealousy and self-ambition prevent normal people from celebrating. In most cases, your success triggers someone else's insecurities. And you're, if you're not aware of that, you'll be blindsided by people who seem to be changing on you. Oh, everybody's changing on me. No, they're not changing. They're just finally 
being triggered by a new season. I've known you for so long. Yeah, but this is a new season. They've been that way all along. And your season of success has just now triggered their insecurity. Where you were never a threat to them before, now you are. See, some people define their friends as those people who are by my side when I'm in a losing season. When I was going through the divorce, oh man, they were there for me when I was going through it. When I was really sick, they came to my rescue. When I was going to court week in and week out, they were by my side. They really helped me out when I was down. But I want to push you a little further and say it might be more important to explore how they handle your winning season. Who cares who's close to you when you're a loser? When you're on the bottom of life. Everybody's going to come comfort you and be nice to you. They're doing better than you. Let me help you when you're down. I want to know. I've lost more friends to winning seasons than I ever lost to a losing one. Nobody's got a problem with you if you're losing. Nobody's coming after you if you're losing. And instead of these men being inspired by what was happening to Daniel, they became jealous of it. Because your real friends are not revealed when you're going through the bottom of it. Your real friends are really revealed when you win. And you step into a new season of success. And if they have a problem with you, they're not really your friends. Come on, we want to be those who challenge our friendships, not out of insecurity, but out of success. And say, you were there for my losing season. Will you be there for my winning one too? This is so important to realize. All jealousy is is confused and mismanaged admiration. They like you. They like you so much they want what you have. People are never jealous of what they don't admire. It's just admiration that's been confused. So if somebody's jealous of me, it's kind of a compliment. Are you catching what I'm saying? They don't even know it's admiration. Their pride won't even let them admit it's admiration. They're confused. Because if they didn't admire it, they wouldn't be bothered by it. You wouldn't wake up doing your own thing and bother people just by breathing air. But some of us do. You know what I'm saying? Some people do. I'm so bothered by you. Why? Because you admire something that you don't have yet or you don't have. They didn't admire it. They wouldn't be bothered by it. Are, are you getting this? And if they were, get honest, they could get delivered from it. If they could get honest with the jealousy, they could get delivered from the jealousy. But God only consumes the sacrifice that you put on the altar. So if you don't expose jealousy... If you don't sacrifice jealousy, God can't handle it, and God won't heal your jealousy. Jealousy will stay this unaddressed, dysfunctional admiration that will consume your life. Jealousy is all-consuming, isn't it? You wake up, you think about it. You go to sleep, you can't stop thinking about it. During the day, you're mad at it. It's in your mind. See, jealousy cannot take God's gifts from you, but it can take your joy while you're living with your gifts. The role of jealousy is to steal your joy, where instead of celebrating what you've been given, you'll be coveting what somebody else has and not see all the blessing and the favor and the gifting that God gave you. All you'll see is what they have that you wish you had. Jealousy cannot take God's favor, but it can steal your focus. And the enemy, he wants to take our focus by getting us to be self-ambitious and jealous. We won't be able to maximize God's favor on our lives if we are hater-obsessed. Because you cannot be purpose-driven and hater-obsessed at the same time. Come on, I love preaching till the 11 o'clock. You guys ready this morning? Come on, this is good. I'll say it again. You cannot be purpose-driven and hater-obsessed at the same time. 
Jealousy can't mess with God's favor. It just steals your focus so you can't operate in God's favor. You cannot be purpose-driven with focus and hater-obsessed together. So Matthew 10, says, you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures, endures, everybody underline it in your virtual Bible, endures, he endures to the end of that battle, will be saved. Now, if you notice, Daniel didn't really fight with his frenemies at all, as much as he just outlasted them. He's like, okay, you caught me praying, guilty, I'm faithful, Guilty, every day pray where everyone can see me, everyone can hear me. I'll go into the den of lions. Let's see who lasts longer. Let's see who endures longer. Daniel's like, if I were you, I'd want to be me too. I'd want to be me too. I'd want to be me too. Right? He's like, what? Want to go lion to lion? You want to go lion to lion? Let's see who lasts longer in the lion's den. That's what he ends up doing with his frenemies. And he's like, if I were you, I'd want to be me too. Right? See, there's some enemies you can't fight. This teaching is very hard for some of us because we naturally like to fight back and say, no, they're lying to you. Wait, no, it's a lie. It's not true. It's not fair. It's a trick. It's a trap. Please, King Darius, you're being deceived and manipulated because of selfish ambition and jealousy. I'm not crazy. They're crazy. I'm not crazy. They're crazy. Like, please wait, just pump the brakes. These guys are bad news. I'm a good man. Don't mess with my character. I'm a, I'm a woman of faith. <laughs> it's hard for us to let God step in and silence our enemies for us. Matthew says rumors and lies, <laughs> all manners of evil spoken against you. It's hard to sit there with your mouth shut, just waiting and taking every beating verbally from these enemies. Makes us want to defend ourselves, yeah? But I want to give you a picture of what it looks like today when you put your dukes up and try to defend yourself. It's ridiculous compared to the God who fights your battles for you. See, if you went up to the top of the Empire State Building, I've been up there before. Took, took my beautiful bride up there, I believe. Sarah, we did that. Sarah's in the house today. So excited for her. <laughs> Honestly, I couldn't remember who, I, who it was that I took up there, but I went up there with somebody one time. I was pretty sure it was Sarah. <laughs> Downtown New York City. You guys been there before? Windy up there, isn't it? If you took a pillow, ripped it open on the top of the Empire State, and just started shaking it out in the wind, and then you looked at me and said, now I want you to go all over this beautiful New York City and retrieve every one of these feathers and put this pillow back together, okay, you have just given me an impossible battle to win. See, when people let corrupt communication come out of their mouths about you, the worst thing you can do is go online, pick up your phone, and try to retrieve every feather. Why? Because number one, it can't be done. Number two, say goodbye to the next 10 years of your life's energy. And even if you go find every feather, which will take you years, nobody remembers what the feathers were by the time you found them. And you're literally wasting your life winning a battle your way. Your way. You did it. You're right. But nobody cares. Because it's been so long since we even thought about you on the radar screen. That's why Jesus said right in Matthew 10, 26, there's nothing covered that will not be revealed. Don't fear your enemies. Don't be afraid. There's nothing in the wind that cannot be collected. 
Nothing hidden that will not be made known. Your sin will find you out. God is saying, when you got the feathers being spread about you and flying all over town, use wisdom. Don't go start a feather hunt. (laughs) He said, don't fear because it's God's responsibility to then go tell the truth about you. And that is exactly what King Darius said to Daniel when he realized, I've been manipulated by these jerks in verse 16. The king realizes these people are evil, they're conniving, they're creepy, and they're coming after Daniel. So he says to Daniel, before he puts him in the den, because his seal was on that that, uh, um, decree, he says, you're going to go in the den, Daniel, but your God, who you serve faithfully, who you serve continually, he will deliver you. I said, he will defend you. I said, he will deliver you. Put your dukes down. Put your hands down because he will deliver you. You don't have to defend yourself. He will defend you. Maybe right now you're realizing you've been on a feather hunt for years. You need to look at your neighbor and say, let the feathers go. Go ahead. Let the feathers fly. You can't retrieve all the feathers and put the pillow back together. You just can't do it. you got to be letting God be the one who manifests what is the truth and what is a lie. And you've got to let God be the one who validates you and vindicates you. See, God wants to validate you, but you need to get out of the way and stop feather hunting for yourself. Come on. Because you don't understand that God, by the power of his spirit, he can go ahead and collect every feather that's ever flown about your reputation. And God can send just one angel. Come on, Daniel. God can send one angel into the den with you and shut the mouth of every lion tongue that's coming to devour you. That's right. Every lion tongue and every lion tongue has got nothing when you got an angel defending you. Come on now. If you're lying or you're a lion, just send one angel. You don't have to go find in feathers. Just one angel to defend the tongue of the wicked one coming against you. And he can retrieve all the words that have been spoken around you. And he can put your life back together again, your reputation, your character, your respect, back together again. In this cancel culture that we live in, he is the creator. He can recreate. He can make a way where there seems to be no way. And he can continue to bless you anyways. And if they disgrace you publicly, what does that mean? As a man sows, he will also reap. That means God's going to validate and vindicate you publicly. If everybody knows, get ready for everybody to know. And God's going to honor you publicly. God's going to lift you up before men as men and women of honor, integrity, and character. No matter what they said. It's like... Back in the schoolyard. I'm rubber, you're glue. Whatever you say bounces off of me, sticks right to you. You just keep moving forward, Daniel. You just keep doing what's right, people of hope. God is saying, fear not, I'll go get the feathers. Somebody in here who receives it, shout yes. Say all you want, I fear not. I got a feather hunting God who is on my side. He is faithful when I am faithful. My faithfulness draws in his favor. And if God be for me, who or what can stand against me? Come on, I got the God of angel armies and he's standing on my side. And in silence is how I fight my battles. You guys ready? I just love this so much. It will preach by itself. Daniel chapter 6, the closing of the story. Verse 24, it says, And the king gave the command, and they brought those men 
who had accused Daniel. The king is about to set it straight. Now, we all know the promotion came from the king of kings, from God, not from Darius. And we all know the king of kings is about to set the record straight. And he brought the men who accused Daniel. And they cast them into the den of lions. Them, their children, and their wives. And their families are now paying the price of them speaking against the Lord's anointed. And their whole families now got to pay the price. And the lions, he outlasted them. The lions overpowered them and broke all their bones. And in tiny pieces before they even hit the bottom of the den. You can throw me in the lion's den. Let's see who lasts longer. Outlast the opposition. Let God fight for you. Then King Darius wrote, the Persian worldly corporation to all peoples and nations and languages that dwell in all the earth. And that's pretty much what they ruled, pretty much everything. Peace be multiplied to you. And the lines are like, <laughs> right? was like, okay, yes, peace to us. Thank you. I make a decree. Yeah, you do. To every dominion of my kingdom, people must tremble and care about the Lord God of Daniel. For he is the living God. Anybody got a resurrection and life God? Come on, here we come Easter. And he is steadfast forever. Oh my God, he is faithful. His kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Preach, King Darius. And his dominion shall endure to the end. Come on, world. Tell us the way the kingdom lurks. Tell us the way the kingdom lasts. Tell us how much better the kingdom of heaven is. He delivers and he rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. You thought he was just up there. He's right here, right now, working his wonder work and power. He has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. Verse 23, my favorite verse of the story. So Daniel prospered. I don't think it's the will of God that believers prosper. I think it is always the will of God. That we always prosper to be the head and not the tail. To be favored by God for, through our faithfulness. And Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius. Yes, that's a while. And the reign of Cyrus the Persian, the next king. Wow, see, Daniel just had to outlast the opposition. And when he did that, there was a public world-changing reward that glorified God and prospered Daniel. Everything our hand finds to do, we do it with excellence. And guess what? It glorifies God and it inspires people. And it, come, come on now, and it prospers people. Come on, if you work excellence, the spirit of excellence in your life, it will glorify God. Who gets the glory? Who gets the honor? Who gets the praise? Who gets this world-changing reward publicly? King Darius is talking about the one true God. And Daniel glorified God and he prospered in this kingdom and the next kingdom. You guys ready to endure? Final point of the series, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us wait, lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance. Endurance. Outlast. Run with endurance. The race set before us, people of hope. Looking at Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Okay, how did Jesus do it? How did he endure? Well, for the joy that was set before him. 
He endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The key to endurance is never focus on your enemy. As we wrap this series up, never be hater-obsessed. Never focus on your enemy. Focus on the spoils if you outlast your enemy. I'm not going to get up every morning, go to bed every night thinking about people who hate me, thinking about the enemy. No, I'm going to get up every morning and go to bed every night saying, I wonder how big the prize is if I endure. And for the joy set before me, I endure the pain. Daniel's morning meditations that night. You know, he's going, into, he's going into the pit that night. In the morning, he's thinking, man, I wonder what King Darius is going to do when the kingdom comes. When he comes, what is he going to do with the kingdom when he sees me alive in this den? I can't wait for King Darius to show up, to roll up, to open up the, the den of lions and see me standing here petting kitties. I just can't imagine what he's about to do to the whole kingdom to glorify God and prosper my life. I am joyfully anticipating something good, and it's not the enemies, it's the reward. Jesus was going to the cross one morning. He said, my morning meditations are, I wonder how excited they're going to be in 2021 at Hope Church because I gave them the victory over sin and over death, and I conquered the grave once and for all. I can't wait to see the spoils. I wonder how big the reward and the impact will be when I get through this thing. Never focus on the enemy. The Bible that said even Jesus had to employ this method of operation for the joy that was set before him. That was you and that was me. And he saw what was in front of him was your life free. And I'm talking about free indeed. Not like half free, not sort of free, but he got excited being on that cross for your freedom. It was for your freedom that Christ has set you free. It gave him so much hope for you not to live in bondage and brokenness. It kept him on the cross. He said, I see her and she's worth it. I see him and he's worth it. He was joyfully anticipating good things, full of hope for your future. And while he was going through hell on the cross, you were on his mind. He said, I can do this for her. I can do this for him. I'm here for this. I can outlast this Roman opposition stabbing me in the side. I can outlast these scribes and Pharisees falsely accusing me. I can outlast Judas betraying me. Because at the end of the cross, if I endure, I get to go and sit at the right hand of God and everybody becomes a son and a daughter. And now all are made righteous through my one perfect sacrifice. You know what Jesus didn't do? He didn't look down from the cross and start cursing Roman soldiers. He start cursing out Pharisees and scribes and Judas. Like, Judas, you're going to get this. You'll pay for this. They were the furthest thing from them. And matter of fact, he never talked about his enemy at all. Daniel never talked or defended himself about the enemy at all. Not before, not during, not after. Daniel, Jesus, they don't think about their enemies. They're too focused on the reward. What are you focused on? Well, it's just so hard out here, Pastor. So much opposition. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I want to go eat worms. Come on now. Everybody loves you. Everybody wants to hear what you have to say. You can make a difference in this world. Don't focus on your enemies. Move past them. 
In every battle, the battle is never the focus. It's what's standing between you and the spoils of victory. See, Jesus had a co-worker named Judas. Judas ended up stabbing him in the back, betraying him. But Jesus teaches us, you don't have to hang a Judas. Judas will always hang himself. You don't have to figure out how these men and wives and their children are going to be eaten by lions. They will always hang themselves. Esther and Haman and Mordecai. Mordecai, you don't have to figure out how to kill Haman, your enemy. He's, he's making a 70-foot gallow to hang himself. Don't be distracted because you cannot be hater-obsessed and purpose-driven and focused on your future at the same time. As we close out this series, I, say, I want to pray Isaiah 54 over God's people, over you, people of hope, and say no weapon will be formed against you that will prosper. There will be nothing that prospers that's standing between you and the spoils of what God has for you. I pray just like we, um, God did for David. Lord, give him wisdom to behave wisely when Saul is throwing spears at him in the midst of hostile working environments. I pray that you would heal their hearts from offense, that no bitterness, that no cynicism, that no brokenness would have their way in their their minds in their life or their behavior God we ask to break off the jealousy break off the selfish ambition Lord that we would be free and free indeed not hater obsessed but kingdom focused I pray freedom over every heart in this room and everybody watching online and everybody said amen amen if you agree shout yes come on we receive your word and we thank you that you fight for us we thank you, Jesus.